0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, January 18th, 2022, which is just two days after Jeremy Renner left the hospital and headed home to recover. This just kind of shocks me, Aaron. I mean, January 1st, the guy is out in his driveway clearing snow, and a 14,000-pound snowcat rolls on top of him, and he's got blunt chest trauma and orthopedic injuries. Does that sound like somebody who's headed home after just 17 days in the hospital? No, he's an Avenger.
1: He just dusts that off. You get back to plowing the driveway, <laughs> mystery. I don't have time for... All of this repairing of my body, I just, you know, rub a little dirt on it, snap my shoulder back into its socket, and say, let's get back to work, boys.
0: It's what we do. Okay, but but this is Hawkeye, all right? This isn't, he's oh, not in a
1: suit. You, you are superpower shaming. shaming? Would that be accurate?
0: <laughs> they did a whole series of, you know, in fact, that's what I loved about the Hawkeye limited series is you would see this poor, it was the first time you actually got to see how beat up he got, or for that matter, that he was hearing impaired and, You got the sense of why he might be ready to hand the the whole shebang over to to Kate. Well, anyway, not only is Mr. Renner home right now, but he was even able to tweet out a plug for season two premiere of his Paramount Plus series, uh, Mayor of Kingstown. He said something effective, Outside of my brain fog, I'm still in recovery after all. I am very excited to watch episode Two zero one with my family at home. Which uh, all it made me think of is Aaron. Is you constantly talk about how celebrities they don't behave like normal people. You stab them and they bleed promotion. They they, yep. they hit their talking points before the lights go out, but they stay on target. And speaking of which, staying on target. Angela Bassett is very much the same. I mean, by that, I mean she wasn't crushed by a 14,000-pound snowcat, but she stays laser focused on a goal. And in this case, Ms. Bassett's goal is successfully negotiating award season in Hollywood. And did you see this past Sunday she took home the Critics' Choice Award for Best Supporting Actress in her performance as Queen Ramonda in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever?
1: Well, I mean, on the last show, you said that if she wins award A, that should indicate mm-hmm. that she should also win award C. So
0: she's on her her path,
1: right? The dominoes are all tipping the way that they intended. Okay, that's
0: good. There we go. This is what both Marvel and Disney wanted. Sure. She's at least being seriously considered for Best Supporting Actress nomination. Now, the voting for nominations among Academy members ended just yesterday, Tuesday the 17th. And we will find out if Miss Bassett actually scored an Academy Award nomination next Tuesday, the 24th. But so far, things are looking really good, not just for Angela, uh, but also for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which I'll explain in a moment during the news portion of today's show. And the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at com. Aaron, I mentioned that things are looking up for Black Panther Wakanda Forever because just yesterday it was revealed that China's unofficial ban on all Marvel movies, which, by the way, evidently has been in place since Avengers Endgame played in that country back in April of 2019 and then made $629 million in that country alone.
1: Is there any sense of, uh, I know that in Florida, the the parks ha- have a little battle with the governor from time to time mm-hmm. about ideas. Is there mm-hmm. anything that Disney or Marvel has done? I guess it would have to be Marvel specific if they've got a ban on Marvel movies, but is there a scene that was offensive to the government or, or something that caused this or do they just not like the, you know, certain things?
0: What? In Eternals, there was, I want to say, a very brief same-sex kiss. I want to say, though, this actually seemed to have started as far back as when Disney released its live-action version of Mulan. And, in fact, it was kind of a shock to Disney. A film that they had tailored specifically for the Chinese market was not allowed in-country china is very oblique about why you can't come into our country but anyway to get back to wakanda forever uh will be opening in china on tuesday february 7th which by the way the exact same day that the blu-ray uh of the film goes on sale in the states and six days after wakanda forever becomes available on disney plus so it's not going to do huge business in china But the really big news is Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, will open in China on February 17th, which is day and date for for when this film, uh, MCO film, opens in North America, which should have a huge impact on Quantum Mania's box office.
1: It sounds more like there wasn't really a ban on Marvel movies. It was just that the only limit, they have a limit on how many foreign movies can go in, and Marvel ain't made the cut recently. However,. Uh, Black Panther and Ant-Man are making the cut.
0: As I understand it, China limits the number of films from North America that can be released in country. And in fact, not only that, they limit the number of days those films can play in country. For example, typically, if you're lucky enough to get your film into China, it can only play for 30 days. But Avatar The Way of Water, China blinked and said, OK, that James Cameron film, that can come into China. But you have to understand that thousands of theaters in China have been closed over the past couple of years due to the zero COVID policy, that, how that country handed, handled COVID. And they've only just recently lifted this. You know, It's like, okay, we're going to allow people to travel. We're going to allow people to go back to the malls, go back to the movies. And it was evidently the Chinese theater owners who let the government know, it's like, look, we need people to be excited to come back to the movies. We need event films. And America is really good at making event films. So can we have that James Cameron movie, which arrived in theaters that I want to say December 15th, uh, managed in that time to make over 220 million dollars. And on the heels of, of that news and how excited the theater owners in China were that, okay, we, we have a movie that people are coming out to see and we're making good money. First, China did something it rarely ever does. It actually gave Avatar the way of water. Uh, it allowed Disney to extend the run of this Avatar sequel in China by another 30 days. I mean, that, that's kind of unheard of. That news came on January 10th and on the heels of this announcement came the news that Black Panther, Wakanda Forever and Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania would also be allowed to be screened in China.
1: It just seems, you know, you've only got so many slots, you know, if you're limiting the number of imported movies... Mm -hmm. And you've only got so many slots. It would be kind of like saying, you know, I've got to fill a a menu Monday through Friday and I keep coming to you, uh, Big Mac from McDonald's? No, thank you. Big Mac from McDonald's? No, thank you. Big Mac from McDonald's? No, thank you. You know, and it's kind of like that where I don't want to get on Scorsese's side about things, Mm -hmm. but some people have superhero fatigue, And if China says, we would like to have some American entertainment, and I know that you did make four Marvel movies this year, do we really absolutely need to see all of them right now? They're not really important. Whereas maybe, you know, Avatar, it only has the one thing that came before it a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can see them saying, now that is interesting because... It's been a, you know, a full decade, and we would like to see where this story goes. Marvel, I get the general gist of where you're going. It's it's a lot, and it's convoluted, and we've only got so much time here, people. So we're going to be a little bit more choosy about that uh, than we are about some some other things. And so, yeah, sure, open up the doors to James Cameron. I can totally see that. And uh, mm. especially if you had theaters that were shut, right, and and it kind of decimated your theater-going population. What better way to revive it than, hey, you remember that one time when this revolutionized cinema with its 3D-ness? And one of the things that I'm actually interested to see about Avatar is apparently the way that James Cameron is making this, you know, more visually spectacular on a technical level, is when you get into an action scene, it goes up from your normal, like, 24 frames per second, like, up to 60 frames per second. And so the 3D is that much more crisp, that much more immersive, that much more sharp and and in the moment. And But when you go back to a dialogue scene, you know how you have motion blur and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Well, it was like when you were at 60 frames per second and two people are just sitting in a room talking – it got really distracting looking because it had the soap opera effect and it was too clear and too crystal sharp and it and it took you out of the moment and so we would dial it back down to 24 frames per second cuz that's how we've seen you know flashing images in movies for our entire lives right And Mm -hmm. so it goes back to, oh, that looks natural again. And then you get into, you know, where they're flying on dragons that jump out of the water or whatever. And it's like, kick that up to 60 frames per second so you can see every little bullet, every little laser trail, every splash of water. And and it's like, those are the, oh my God moments. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's a a technical aspect that, you know, a lot of people are just going, James Cameron's coming back with Avatar 2. And I mean, I make fun of it because it's been a decade. But Mm -hmm. on a technical level, the dude is really, really precisely good. And I want to see that. And so that's the technical aspect that I'm going to be going into the theaters looking for with my 3D glasses. Because you're not going to get that when it comes to Blu-ray at home.
0: Just a a moment or two ago, you mentioned Martin Scorsese. And remember, the whole brouhaha about Martin as he was out doing promotion for his film for Netflix, The Irishman, about, you know, well, you know, uh, technically Marvel movies aren't movies. They're they're like theme park attractions and that sort of thing. And I I have to tell you, just this past weekend, my brother Peter and I have been trying for years to clear the amount of time because Irishman is three and a half hours. And it was just like, all right, let's find time to finally sit down and watch this movie. And this past Saturday, we did it, which, by the way, great movie. I, you know, I cannot stress enough, I would be happy to slot this right next to other great films by Scorsese, uh, Goodfellas, and Casino. But you mentioned uh, effects work. And they go in and do that thing from the original Ant-Man movie. You remember how in the opening movies of Ant-Man, they de-aged Michael Douglas oh, to yeah. the point where he, he looked like he was, you know, ready to go back on the set of The Streets of San Francisco. Yep. They do the same thing with Joe Pesci and Harvey Cattell and, and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And remember, this movie came out in 2019, and here we are, January of 2023, watching it. And there has been enough moving forward in this particular area of special effects. And it's like, oh,
1: the de-aging did not age well. Is that what you're saying? That's a, thank you. That, that That's a
0: very apt way of putting it.
1: Yes. Have you ever heard anything about Bruce Willis recently?
0: Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, he's he's not doing all that great. You know, and, and health-wise and, you know, our deepest sympathies for whatever he's going mm-hmm. through and and all the intricacies that that's got to complicate life. So, mm-hmm. horrible thing. Now, he apparently sold his likeness that it can be used, in, in you know, like you need a digital Bruce Willis, voila, just here's a mm-hmm. copy of me and type in mm-hmm. the lines you want me to say. And mm-hmm. we have that with um, James Earl Jones doing Darth Vader, right? He yep. has recorded enough dialogue over the course of time and history that they can plug that into a computer and and reproduce an authentic sounding James Earl Jones. So we can have Darth Vader forever now because of this. And with Bruce Willis, you know, also uh, if he's getting out of acting but he's still Mm -hmm. licensing his likeness. There's a series of like three movies. I can't remember. It's like Detective, not Knight. Maybe it is Detective Mm -hmm. Knight, but whatever. And it was like three movies shot back to back to back, and it was like after I heard that he was retiring from acting. And I didn't know if they were actually using real Bruce or, or, you know, is it real or is it Memorex? And we're getting to that point.
0: Well, I, it's so interesting you bring up this, this issue because I remember, and uh, this was 20 plus years ago uh-huh. when this first came up, but it was the families of W.C. Fields, of Humphrey Bogart, and I want to say Boris Karloff, who had signed a deal with a company in Hollywood with the notion of you can purchase the digital rights to my father's likeness, so they can appear in commercials or, or other projects of that sort of thing and it was it was one of these things where I, I mean there's a joke about talking with Wilbur and uh, Orville Wright about frequent flyer miles you know mm. it was a little early you know to, <laughs> to, to to be discussing this but it's interesting that you bring up the Bruce Willis issue because face it we were just talking about Jer- Jeremy Renner at, at the top of the show and in Knockwood you know that he you know he's home he's resting he's recovering and you know if they they decide to do another hawkeye film or for that matter if they you know when they finally do secret wars mm. you know and supposedly every character that's ever been in an mcu film shows up would love to see you know a jeremy back in front of camera playing hawkeye but but what you just mentioned that opens the door in a really interesting sort of way yeah. the notion that well, you know, I can't physically be there because of health issues. But sure, here's my likeness. Do what you want.
1: You know, I hear Kevin Feige's like a real hard-nosed boss sometimes. And mm-hmm. he actually, in his uh, get well card to Jeremy Renner, it said, if you're going to die, please do it on camera. <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn, dude, that is cold. That's cold. Oh. It's, apparently, it's in the contract. He didn't read the fine print.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. oh, dear. Okay. Uh, speaking of hardcore uh, and getting back to Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, tickets went on sale uh, this past Monday, January 16th. And have you seen how they are now promoting this movie? They refer to this MCU film as an epic sci-fi war film.
1: Okay. I'm down with that. Sure.
0: Okay, this is how uh, Marvel Studios VP of Production and Development, Stephen Boussard, described the film. Ant-Man and the Quantum Mania is many things. It's a family adventure first and foremost. It's the story of a family of superheroes basically being pulled into an adventure within the quantum realm. And within that, Ant-Man then becomes an epic sci-fi war movie and a coming-of-age story. It's a lot of different things wrapped up in one film. By the way, we'll talk further about this film and more importantly, Quantum Mania's villain Kang on the second half of today's show. But first, let's talk a bit about limited series that Marvel Studios uh, has headed our way through uh, Disney Plus. And I know we've talked about Agatha Coven of Chaos uh, on the show. In fact how the release date of this film keeps getting slid further and further or excuse me, limited series keep getting slid further and further back. By the way uh, real quickly, if this
1: were a video podcast, I would be editing in a clip of Elaine from Seinfeld pushing violently you know how she'd always go, get out and then push Jerry it's like, just put a little image of Agatha in there with a release date and then Elaine just pushes her and says get out and then, you know, Agatha gets bumped back by a couple months. That's the Gag that I would be doing visually for our future visual podcast on Agatha News. Continue, please. Okay.
0: No, I don't know. By the way, uh, worth noting here, Julie uh Louis Dreyfus was actually talking about her Contessa character. Oh, yeah. And you were mentioning Kevin Feige, and she talked about how she actually went to Kevin and suggested, you know, we have to update the Contessas. Look, she's of today. So can we put a little purple in her hair? but wanted it to look uh, just a certain way. But we have been talking about how Agatha uh, Coven of Chaos keeps getting pushed further and further back. Now it's supposedly 2004, 2025. Here's what confuses me, Aaron. They only began production of, of this show this past week, Tuesday, January 17th. Uh, in fact, uh, Jack Schaefer, who created WandaVision, the show that Agatha Covenant of Chaos was spun off from, is the head writer on this project, executive producer on Coven of Chaos, also directing a number of episodes and but it's like how can you be following falling behind schedule when you haven't started shooting yet? Well, I'm, that's
1: exactly how you're behind schedule. They should have been shooting, you know, 6 months ago. Uh okay. Didn't didn't they announce that they were shooting like it seems like it was a long time ago or were they just I mean, I know that you go through pre pre-production, obviously. I
0: I think that's what was being alluded to. I mean, in fact, this reminds me that a a friend who was working on the lot at at Sony, the old MGM lot, one day invited me to come, you know, it's like, do you want to walk? The grounds and you know hell this is this is the old mgm of course i want to walk the ground so mm-hmm. you know we went to like the the old sound stage where esther williams you know used to swim in the acrobatic movie and he the friend of mine took me onto the sound stage where they shot the munchkin land scene from the wizard of oz but as we came through the elephant door onto the sound stage there were three guys in leotards and it turns out these were the stuntmen who were getting ready to shoot Spider-Man 2. Mm. And evidently in the script there was a scene that Sam Raimi yep. uh, wanted to shoot practically. He wanted to shoot the effect of Spider-Man landing on a, a flagpole, only, you know, sticking to the side of it. You know, sort of doing a classic Spider-Man pose. And so these guys were, you know, they had the pole set up on the stage, they had the ropes and the wires set up, and they were the three of them were trying to suss out well how do we do what sam wants and so I, and again we, we sit there for about 10 or 15 minutes watching how each of them you know tried to stick it and then they would you know they talk about well what well, could we do it this way or could the wire guy pull us that way mm. so i guess again when it comes to these sort of superhero marvel-esque projects that yeah pre-production can be pretty extensive before you actually get in front of the camera but yeah. Oh, by the way, uh Catherine Hahn, who plays the title character in Covenant of Chaos, uh warned folks that if you liked it Was Agatha all along, Covenant of Chaos may feature a couple of songs. D- given that Patty Lupone has joined the cast, I, I I'm shocked, absolutely shocked.
1: Isn't Aubrey Pla- uh, Plaza playing is it Morgan LaFoy
0: the character? Morgan LaFoy,
1: okay. yeah. I- isn't yeah. that uh nemesis to Arthur and Merlin?
0: Yep. She's actually, if I if I remembering my Camelot mythology, Morgan le Fay is the one who imprisoned Merlin in a tree. Okay,
1: and but I thought she was like somehow related, like a sister or half sister or something. To I, I, it could just be a you know a different movie that I saw that made me think that. <laughs>
0: well, no, no. I mean, I you know I, I I hate to say this, but it just I mean, face it. This is a Kevin. Feige project, and we've talked about Kevin's attitude when it comes to the Marvel characters. You know, he just he treats the you know the entire Marvel catalog like it's one of those endless Vegas buffets. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, we've got know, a Thor you know.
1: from Norse mythology. We've got a Black Knight. No. That's been alluded to from the end mm-hmm. of the Eternals movie with that right. that last shot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we are going to start getting into if we have an Excalibur. Well, then mm-hmm. damn it, you need to have yourself uh, uh, an Arthur. And if you're going to have an Arthur, at some point you're going to get a Merlin and a Morgan. And so the fact that... That is an
0: excellent point. Wow. Yeah, the fact okay. that we've
1: already got Aubrey Plaza casted as Morgan is like, damn, that could actually lead somewhere quite relevant very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I just I just think if you were saying that Daredevil might lead somewhere and, and they want to put mm-hmm. um, Agatha post-Daredevil mm-hmm. for a character reason, what mm-hmm. if it's the Black Knight with uh, Excalibur? Ooh.
0: Okay, that this just got interesting. Oh, we were talking about limited series and and that sort of thing. And, of course, one of the other things we're looking all looking forward to is, is Secret Invasion. Let's see. Marvel has revealed that the Secret Invasion trailer will debut on Sunday, February 12th, as part of the live broadcast of the Super Bowl. Also, we were previously talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We're already getting a direct sequel to that film with Ironheart, the, the limited series that's being built around Riri Williams' character, but evidently Ryan Coogler, the writer-director of the Black Panther films, has additional plans to expand the creative footprint of this particular Marvel IP. And Now, do you remember what happened with Akoe in Black Panther Wakanda Forever that she was drummed out would would that be the right way to, to say what happened to her character uh, you know over the course of that film uh, drummed out of the core
1: uh yeah i, th- I kind of think that she's got her own new path her own new de- well didn't they kind of create for her a new position because there were those fancy suits that they kept mocking mm-hmm. that shuri was working on and by the end of the movie even though she was out of the guard didn't mm-hmm. didn't they put her in the fancy flying suit and now they did so now they she did. might have like a, a whole new uh, you know if she was a general before now it's just mm-hmm. like well now you're our uh, instead of being a part of the army you're, you're our new Air Force and since we've only got the one <laughs> suit, you are literally the Air Force <laughs> you know whatever whatever the the new branch of military is that comes with the suit I guess. but yeah no, she's got her own path going that's that's different than just being a guard.
0: Well, it's interesting you say new path, because uh, Danny Garrari, the, the actress who, who played Akoi, was on Stephen Colbert, and he asked about her feature plans and asked about the rumors about a spinoff. And her response was, Stephen, I have been told I can gently allude to this possibility. So I am gently alluding, but gently, just gently. Also, while we're touching on the Black Panther franchise at Marvel Studios, Disney Plus is going to feature a, a, a new documentary called Voices Rising. It's the music of Wakanda Forever. And this isn't a single documentary, Aaron. It's a documentary series. And it's also the very first time Marvel, the, the MCU, has gotten a documentary series of its own. I, I realize they have done those backstory ones. And in fact, did you see the one that got pulled for Drax and and Mantis back in November and December? Because there was kind of an outcry that too much was given away in you know those little short documentaries they do about the individual characters, about some of the story surprises from the holiday special. Oh,
1: okay. All right.
0: All right. Newly edited versions of those uh, have uh, just shown up on on that subscription streaming service. Whereas this uh, Voices Rising, the music of Wakanda Forever, that original series debuts on Disney Plus on February 22nd. Okay. We have Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We have two films that have earned billions We have the Ironheart coming. We have our Koei spin-off series. We have this documentary series. And yet, Bob Iger, in his recent memoir, mentioned that Ike Perlmutter, the owner of, of Marvel Comics, actually stood in the way of Marvel's first films that were to feature both black leads and female leads and uh, Iger went on to say I called Ike and I told him to tell his team to stop putting up roadblocks and ordered that we put both Black Panther and Captain Marvel into production. I bring up this story because I don't know if you've seen the news Aaron about how Ike Perlmutter is actually behind the gentleman who's now trying to uh, battle Disney in public is fighting for a, a seat on the board and is looking to impact how Disney goes forward from, from here. Disney just today released news that Ike Perlmutter, on uh, Mr. Pelt's behalf, he's, he's the gentleman behind Triand, uh, the who... Uh, Trying to to get on the board, has asked for a board seat or suggested that he be added to the board no less than twenty times since July twenty (laughs) second.
1: Hey Spike, you want to go catch a cat?
0: Nah.
1: Hey Spike, you want to go outside play?
0: Nah. Hey Spike, you want (laughs) to? Do you remember that cartoon? (laughs) Yes, yes I do. Yes I do. This is what
1: it reminds me of when you ask that many times. (laughs) It's just mm -hmm. like, oh, it's that little yappy dog. Shut up, yappy dog. Shut up.
0: Here's Ike Perlmutter, a, a man of a certain age, 80 years old, and set in his worldviews, and just did not like the idea of Marvel having black leads. And we now have Jonathan Major about to, you know, he's already made his debut, you know, uh, in, in Loki as, you know, he who remains. Right. But. We're
1: all eagerly anticipating
0: his return. There we go, and, as Kang. And by the way, folks, when we get back from this commercial break, uh, we will do a deep dive on, on what we can expect with Kang the Conqueror uh, when he makes his debut. I think we talked on the last show about the most recent trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, you know, we actually got to see Kang the Conqueror in action. But have you seen some of the info that's come out since then? In regards to... Why Kang and why now? Kevin Feige, in an interview with Empire Magazine, uh, talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, went on to say that Kang is the obvious choice as you're dealing with a multiverse. Kang allows us to do a new kind of big bad. He's a different kind of villain, one that wars among themselves as much as he wars with our heroes. Also, have you seen over, you know, we were just talking on, on last week's show about how uh, MODOK mm. appears to be playing a a, a largest role in storyline of quantum mania but at the same time it's it's some of the language you know in the trailer you know to the effect of kang needs scott lang's help to get a certain item that he's a, in effect trapped in this world mm-hmm. so what's the macguffin what is it that scott's got to help kang get what can you tell me about kang's time chair it's mcu tardis Well, evidently, in this case, Feige evidently, you know, shared this with with Empire. If he can get his time chair back in working order, it allows him to go anywhere and any when he wants. It, It goes on to say, Kang is a very powerful person, but we meet him. He's in a position where he needs to get that power back. He has a ship and a device that will allow him to go anywhere and any when if he wants, if he can get it back online. If only he had access to genius scientists with PIM particles. Now, the other thing, frankly, that I guess we're going to discover as we go into quantum mania is that Janet van Dyne, evidently, while she was down in the quantum realm, she was the equivalent of a freedom fighter. In fact, that's why in the trailer. When we we watch Scott's daughter Cassie, uh-huh. who's invented you know a device that will allow them to contact the quantum realm, it just like shut that down, shut that down immediately. To the effect of we don't want to let this guy out of his cage. She's the one because she was a freedom fighter in her during her time in the uh, quantum realm, knows exactly what Kang is capable of, but. Jonathan Major's character needs Scott Lang's help because something has been stolen from him. So is it possible that Modoc somehow has procured the time chair? I mean, he seems to be trapped down there as well. When you're
1: talking about MacGuffins and stuff like that, I'm mm-hmm. just seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman interrogating Tom Cruise going, give me the rabbit's foot. Where's the <laughs> rabbit's foot? <laughs> Uh, Now it's like, you know, Jonathan Major's going, where's the pim Particle? Give me the Mm pim Particle. And uh, we never know, you know, we never get to whatever the rabbit's foot is. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we have to find a way to kill the bad guy before he gets the rabbit's foot and the credits roll. I don't think it's his prison. Mm -hmm. uh, Because isn't Chronopolis the name of his uh, city that he rules over, and I mean, you see all these, like, spaceships that look like they're military in style, Mm -hmm. and it looks like he's ready to invade something, so I mean, it looks like he has got his mighty war machine all established and ready to go, so Mm -hmm. I don't know if he, it doesn't seem like he's trying to escape anything, it just might be he's trying to... That see if he needs the time chair, then the time chair. Yeah, maybe he is stuck in a place for a minute. But how does he have his whole army? How does he have a whole civilization bowing to him at that point?
0: As happens with any time uh, Marvel Studios releases a trailer, that there are those folks who go full Zapruder on it. And I was just reading today, for example, there are folks who have been studying the glyphs that are on the giant wheeled portions of uh, Chronopolis, as you just explained, and they immediately saw a commonality in the visual language that was shown in Shang-Chi. Yeah. Likewise, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, when Wanda was in the final... Um, the big mountain uh, shrine Monus thing. Temple. yeah temple, okay. yeah. And that evidently also, if you're paying attention during the Eternals, the same visual language shows up in in the various ships and and that sort of thing that they've crafted. So again, I know there were so many people who talk about with phase four of the MCU, it was mostly chess pieces moving around a board, nothing of, of significance happened. Right. But evidently that changes with Quantum Mania. We're gonna to start to see a number of these pieces click together
1: i think it would be fabulous if ant-man quantum comes out and then as a result people revisit eternals and shang chi with more appreciation for what was being you know that that chess piece that was being moved into that location because mm-hmm. a lot of people were looking at some things you know at very very face value and just go i don't like this or that and not as exciting or big and splashy is the things that came before it. And it's like, well, no, these are much more intimate one-on-one human stories. You know, this is a man versus his dad. That's as mm-hmm. basic human as we get. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's primal right there. Uh, so I think, I think if we get to look back at those with more appreciation after Ant-Man comes out, I think that's a, a wonderful sign of, of good job to the team.
0: Well, you know, and what's interesting is I think you've just keyed into something that's supposed to be a unique stepping stone in quantum mania. You mentioned the intimate stories, you know, family issues. Head writer Jeff Loveness, the gentleman who crafted the script after, of course, meeting with... Kevin Feige, the folks at Marvel Studios. Likewise, uh, Peyton Reed, the director of this thing. And he goes on to say that when I first went with Peyton and Marvel, we got so excited about making this epic, massive adventure film with a superhero you might least expect to be in it. From the beginning, the idea was to put them up against an Avengers-level threat, the next major villain in the MCU, Kang the Conqueror. But it's just Scott, Hope, and their families. So, in a weird sort of way, what you just described—this is kind of the the bridge into this material. You know, we we just did all of these intimate stories, and now you know we get our our Avenger level threat, as 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 Jeff describes it. Only you know it's this tiny group, <laughs> literally tiny Ant-Man and Ant- the Wasp, trying to figure out how to keep a Kang the Conqueror in his Box down to the quantum realm.
1: There was a guy on, on Twitter that had posted an image and I it has to be fake. It just has to be fake because Marvel would never let this out this early because they were toys. And they looked more kind of like, you know, your classic, you know, 1980s, 1990s type plastic uh, action figure type toys. But they're all of mm-hmm. Kang. But they're all different versions of Kang. And so in the front and center was the green and purple suited version Mm -hmm. that we're getting in the ant-man trailer Mm -hmm. in off to the side was the ones wearing the the robes was he who remains version Mm -hmm. there was uh dr richards which is like the most normal scientist human version uh which is like a great great grandson of Mm -hmm. uh reed richards uh so it's like him wearing just a lab coat with glasses to look studious and mm-hmm. they had not King Tut, but it was a Tut type name mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And so he had a, an Egyptian influence costume. and then a crimson, not crimson guard, but as a, a crimson character name. Mm-hmm. And so it's all of the, the same actor just in the different costumes in toy form. And it was like, oh my God, what if? Because we know that there's multiple versions of him. Mm -hmm. and he's kind of sometimes battling himself Mm -hmm. and so how many different versions of this character might we possibly get just in this one movie that we're not even aware of yet
0: to circle back to that feige quote from earlier but you know kang is a different type of villain warring amongst themselves as much as he's warring with our heroes so who knows maybe those toys are legit Yeah. By the way, speaking of things that that are legit and legitimately interesting, legitimately entertaining, let's talk about 32nd Street. You're now how many podcasts in?
1: The third episode just released uh, on Thursday, so Mm -hmm. yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday, where uh, we talk about cliches and advertising. Like friendly, knowledgeable staff. It's like, well, thank you for not spitting on me and knowing where to point for the the tool (laughs) aisle is at. That's great. You know, I kind of expect you to not be mean to me when I walk in the door, and I also kind of expect you to know your stuff. So you don't have to use those words when when you're doing a commercial. You don't have to say one-stop shop for everything or conveniently located. I hate conveniently located because unless you're in my hand when I need it, (laughs) You're not conveniently located. Well, we're in the center of town. Well, you know what? I'm outside of town living on a small farm. It's going to take me three hours to drive there. Conveniently located to whom exactly? So uh, some, some things for people to avoid, and we just make fun of um all of the stuff i've encountered over my career and and uh sometimes you'll hear it on the radio and you'll go oh son of a and once you learn about a thing you can't you'll start hearing it all the time and you'll start cursing my name damn it aaron i hear it now i hear it
0: (laughs) well i i have to admit one one of the things i truly enjoy about the show is because face it i mean we encounter advertising in all parts of our lives, and there are some incredibly bright, incredibly talented people who work in this field. But at the same time, so many of the forms have been locked in for ages. The the very thing you're talking about, you know, the the language, you know, when somebody writes an ad the things they automatically defer to because it's like, this is what's supposed to spur you to come to our store, you know, our our friendly staff. We've got an
1: episode coming up called Pavlov's dogs and it's about how you are trained into a thing Mm -hmm. and a very, it's my favorite episode we've done so far, but it's about how they used a pop star. To earworm their way into your brain mm-hmm. and then they deconstructed the earworm and then they put it on a platter and used it in their advertising. For over 20 years now, this has been mm-hmm. happening. You don't even know it mm-hmm. and you're still being manipulated by it today and it makes you want to buy a cheeseburger. Go figure.
0: My dad was principal of primary school in Massachusetts and they once did a drive for new playground equipment and Mm -hmm. i forget which corporation reached out to them but basically said if the kids collect box tops we'll match a certain amount of funding
1: oh right yeah
0: okay so they do it and the rep from the company shows up with a giant fake check but it's for five thousand dollars worth of playground equipment and they're doing the presentation but the guy asked my dad can can i just you know for uh, indulge me here said, kids, I, I want to ask you a few questions. You know, what comes in the little blue jug? And it's like, Dynamo! And he proceeds to walk them through the catchphrase for like five and six different commercials that the kids uh-huh. can complete instantaneously. Yep. And my dad, and again, this is, these are all kids in primary school. I mean, it's kindergarten to, I want to say, fifth grade, if that. Uh-huh. But you know, that was thing, my dad said it was so chilling because it was like, They just parroted it right back to him without any hesitation. And the guy was, good, I'm doing my job. Here's your big check. (laughs) And (laughs) usually it's
1: done to music because you learn things to music so much you get it stuck in your head and you'll start singing it to yourself. Like,
0: 1-800-HAPPY-TOYS. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, if you you enjoy this sort of uh, pop the hood of of a a part of our lives that we don't necessarily talk about, uh, folks, I highly recommend checking out uh, 32nd Street but you know we also have a, a couple other podcasts here you might enjoy listening to as well we of course have disney dish which i do with lentesta uh we also have uh fine tuning which i do with drew taylor and by the way i should also point out drew has his own wonderful mission impossible podcast like the Fuse. Uh, We have, of course, looking at LogoZoom with Brian Gaughan, and I am still working on that Universal show. I will get it out, I promise. Beyond that, uh, social media-wise, Aaron, uh, where can folks find you these days? Still
1: thriving beautifully on Twitter, at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Come join in the conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm still on Twitter myself. Uh, Likewise over at Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Uh, also on Facebook, it is Jim Hill Media News. Also, uh, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, well, not just the podcast you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but likewise, 32nd Street, that would be helpful. That sends additional eyeballs and ears our way. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to hear the Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And I think that's gonna do it for tonight folks so uh, on behalf of mr adams thank you so much for listening and we will be back soon